The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. If you'll turn to Philippians chapter 1, you know, some passages of the Bible need to be understood emotionally as well as doctrinally. Sometimes you have to put yourself in the position of these characters. I mean, can we really understand the chapter in Genesis when it talks about Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son? Unless you've been there and lost a child. It's hard for us to comprehend this. And even further to comprehend the reality that a holy God would send his son to die for us. God stopped the hand of Abraham, but he did not stop those who crucified his son. It requires a similar thought process to really grasp what the Apostle Paul is talking about in chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. I mean, put yourself in the shoes of the Philippians for a few minutes. It had been at least four years since they'd heard from Paul. They'd heard the rumors. They had heard what had possibly happened to him. They were worried about him. News had reached uh, Philippi of their own brother, Epaphroditus, who was stricken and sick. But now time had passed, and they're asking some tough questions. Was Paul still in chains? Was he sick? Had he already come to trial? Had he already been martyred? for his belief in Jesus Christ. The Philippians had no way of knowing, but then finally, word came. And at least they knew that Paul was alive because of the letter he had written to them. But can you imagine them reading through the first 11 chapters that really talk about them? And then finally, Paul turns and talks about himself. And he says in verses 13 to 14, I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Without fear? You're in prison, Paul. The news that many of the rumors, or the news was that many of the rumors were true. Many unfortunate things had happened to Paul. He was still in chains. His future was extremely uncertain. Yet, something else radiates through this. These things have worked to advance the gospel. Now, what kind of man having suffered what he has suffered, can rejoice that there's a reason behind it. It's one thing to know there's a reason behind suffering. It's another thing to endure in the middle of suffering knowing that. And this is the the life that Paul was leading. Paul has written that things that happened to him actually furthered the gospel. So what are these things? What actually happened that furthered the gospel? And I want you to look for a few minutes at Paul's suffering. 
we must remember that the things that happened to Paul were quite different from the things that he had planned for himself. And like so many of us today, we have plans in life, and then unexpected turns come into our lives. And we find ourselves heading in directions we had no idea we'd ever go. Paul was the great missionary to the Gentiles. And for years, he had carried the gospel through various parts of the world there, through Syria, uh, through what is now Turkey, Greece. And somewhere along the way, he had conceived the plan of taking the gospel to the far west, to Spain. After, running, or after returning to Jerusalem and then making a stop in Rome. But his plans were not to be fulfilled. Instead of this, he found himself in prison on trial for his life. At the time of the writing, he could have no real confidence that he'd ever be free again. So understand this. His plan was to serve God. His plan was to go and live for Christ. But God's plan was in Rome. And perhaps it was slowing Paul down long enough to write the book of Philippians. But God had a different plan. So, so consider what happened to him, because it all began back in Acts chapter 21, when the apostle set foot in Jerusalem, forewarned by the Holy Spirit of coming imprisonment. An entirely false accusation was leveled against him. Acts 21, verse 28, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this place. Imagine that false accusation. He was nearly lynched by a religious mob, and he ended up in a Roman prison. Acts 22, verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. His whole case was beset by mockery and injustice. For although all the right was on his side, he was made the subject of unprovoked shame. Acts 23, verse 2, And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Malicious misrepresentation. Acts 24, verse 5, For we have found this man a plague, who, and one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And then there was a deadly plot. Acts 23, verse 12, When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. They are after this guy. He was kept in prison for popularity. Acts 24, 27, when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. And then even for money, he was extorted. Acts 24, 26, at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. And then, of course, the great facade of legalism in Acts 26, 27, and Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So one thing after another is being trumped up against this guy. One false accusation after another, abuse, punishments, imprisonment, chains. And if that weren't enough, 
There came the trial of the storms at sea where his life hung by a thread. And eventually when he reached Rome, he didn't come in as a zealous evangelist. He came in the company of the condemned bound in chains and destined to drag out the next years in prison. Nevertheless, still in prison, still in chains, still unheard, still uncertain, he looked back and he exclaimed, what happened to me served, served to advance the gospel. Seriously? Who thinks this way? I mean, who can go through the utter horrors of life and be able to set up and say, but it's for God's glory? What a perspective this man lives before us. All the frustration, all the delay, all the time he could have been on the outside doing the gospel work, all but all the physical suffering. Yet, this is overshadowed by the fact that it has served to spread the gospel. Now, please understand that not all suffering is for this purpose. God has different purposes for permitting suffering. Some suffering is corrective. Because God loves us so much, he allows us to suffer to bring us back on track. This is exactly what Solomon was referring to in Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Some suffering is to awaken the needs and feelings for others. Some of it is instructive. It is intended to mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. For we learn that through the things we suffer, they're ingrained in us. There are lessons that we would never learn any other way, and they're indelibly written on our hearts. Thus Peter could say in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perisheth, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Testing causes you to evaluate your relationship with Christ. If it's real, you fall on him. If it's not real, you run off in a huff, angry and frustrated. Paul's suffering was neither corrective nor instructive. It was simply a suffering permitted by God so that the gospel might spread to others. And if you have suffered for Christ in any way, count it a privilege. Because God has allowed you to experience what his son experienced for the glory of God. Now, who benefits from Paul's suffering? In regards to this particular suffering, Paul is speaking about how the things had happened as a result of spreading the gospel. And the first answer to this question is that Paul was able to bear witness to the Praetorian Guard. Now, in the King James Version, it translates verse 13 by saying, so that my bonds in Christ are manifested in all the palace and all other places. 
Unfortunately, I believe the King James Version here is missing the point, and it's only because they didn't have all the extra manuscripts that would help the understanding. Uh, Praetorian, in many cases today, derives from the area of calling things a palace or a general's tent his praetorium. But when all the thousands of manuscripts that they've discovered all written about that time, every single use of it has nothing to do with a palace or a building, but has everything to do with people. And in this case, the Praetorian Guard. The guard was the official bodyguard of the emperor, which took charge of the imperial prisoners. Knowing this, it's necessary to translate the verse as it is in Philippians 1.13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So consider this. You begin to realize the scene at this point because from the time Paul was taken, he was always chained to a guard. He wasn't just chained to other prisoners. He was chained to a guard. And these guards were the emperor's private guards. They're the ones that took care of very, very high-profile prisoners. And so he would be chained to these guards. And so what you have to understand is that Paul was a soldier of Jesus Christ. But the guard at the other end of the chain was one for whom Christ died. Paul bore witness to this soldier, and then the one to replace him at the second watch, and the one that replaced him on the third watch, and the fourth, and so on. And through the days and weeks and months and years, he witnessed to the guards throughout that whole place, and they listened. He didn't cry out for justice. He didn't criticize them for unjust punishment. He didn't scream out for his rights. He loved them with the gospel. And he was willing to be chained and put in this position so that these men could hear about Christ. I kind of wonder as I look through this and studied this this week as each guard was assigned to come in, I wonder what they said to each other. Well, here goes. Four hours of the gospel. You're going to hear nothing about Christ, you know? And he just let them have it. What could they do to him? He wasn't going anywhere, and they were stuck with him. So just imagine how the Spirit of God used Paul. Imagine these soldiers who were used to dealing with vile, rough prisoners, men that were on their way to be executed, vile. And yet here's this one guy who all he wants to do is minister to them. All he wants to do is preach Christ so that they can have eternity. What were they thinking? This guy's not like everybody else. And I can imagine occasionally a soldier would say, okay, what's different about you? Well, I'm glad you asked. And on it would go again. That's what Paul lived. So think of how Paul must have lived to have this effect on the core of Roman soldiers. Here's a man who had every right to be thinking about himself, but instead he spoke of Christ even in prison. And the soldiers listened. Now, please note that all of us have the opportunity to witness for Christ and his amazing love. It doesn't matter if you're chained to a desk all day at work. It doesn't matter if you're home with small children all day or perhaps down with sickness. You can bear witness to all you come in contact 
with the Lord's great mercy and what He's done for you. And once more, it will entirely change the way you look at the limitations, whatever their cause. Can you imagine in a trial, struggling, and then realize that God is using that? What does that do to your perspective and your ability to really see God's hand. And you'll be able to say, as Paul did in Philippians 1.12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to the advance of the gospel. It is not about me. It's about glory to God. And whatever God allows your life to head through, it's for that purpose. Your life can and will Bring glory to God, no matter what the circumstance, if you allow it. Now, notice Paul's effect on other Christians. Because there's a further way in which Paul's suffering for Christ served to advance the gospel. It had a profound effect on those who heard about this. Philippians 1.14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You you and I never will fully understand the dramatic influence we have on people around us. You know, most of you walked in here this morning and you you greeted people and you, you might know people or maybe you're a visitor and you don't know anybody. But you walk in here as a walking testimony of who is in control of your life. You walk in here as a walking testimony. And if you allow that testimony to come out, you dramatically affect people. And as these Christians in the area saw what Paul was doing, it encouraged them to live for Christ. It encouraged them to take their place with Paul. Christians moved from defeated to boldness as a result of Paul's example. And, it, and the question we need to ask ourselves, are we having that effect on the people around us? Do you have that effect on your children and on your friends? Are you fearful or timid about sharing what God has done for you? Allow him to have his way, and you'll be amazed at what he's doing. Because all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, let me take you away from Paul for a few minutes, and let me take you back to the Old Testament to give you a true biblical experience And I want to take your attention now to the poster child of suffering, Job. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the story of Job. Satan would go into the presence of God, and he would just rail on God's people on earth and bring accusation after accusation. And so finally, God says, Have you considered my servant Job? You know, when I first read that years ago, I thought, can you imagine if Job heard that conversation? No, 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 not me, you know? I mean, can you imagine that? It's a good thing he didn't hear it. But he said, if you considered my servant Job, and Satan said, you let me have him, and I'll get him to curse you. And you remember he said, have anything you do, whatever you want with him, except don't touch him. Well, Job trusted God. But everything Job had was taken. His oxen and donkeys were stolen. His sheep were destroyed by lightning. 
Raiders made off with his camels. His children perished in a moment, in a whirlwind. And everything he loved was gone. And Satan stepped back, waiting for Job to curse God. Now, Job was in a devastating position. I want you to listen to Job's heart in chapter 10, verses 18 and 19. He calls out to God, Why did you bring me out from my mother's womb? Would that I had died before and I had seen me and were as as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave. God, why did you let me be born? Have you ever been there? God, why? I love you. I serve you. You're my God. And everything I love is gone. And you know, it doesn't just affect Job. It affects people around him. Because his wife came to counsel him and she said, just curse God and die. Thank you, honey. Listen, it was her kids too. It was her home. Job is the subject of the test, but everybody around him suffered. And she's probably thinking, curse him and die. I can't take any more of this. You know, Satan is crafty. And sometimes he'll use the people closest to you to try to knock you off. Sometimes the people you love the most will hurt you the deepest. But Job would have none of it. And Job received evil with quiet trust in the Lord. In Job 1.21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you have that attitude in the midst of the trial that you have no idea where it's headed? God used suffering not only for us, but for the people around us. Like it or not, folks, you are on display for Christ. And you can try to hide it under a bushel, as Matthew talks about. You can hide your light, as we teach the children. But you can never, never hide the walk of your life. And God will use suffering to draw you closer to Him so He can do through you what He intended to do before the foundation of the world. And that's to use you to glorify Jesus Christ and bring honor to him, and draw other people to him. When Paul stood in the prison and lived this life, other Christians became bold. When you're buried in a terrible suffering situation with no way out, how are people going to react to you? Will they see Christ? Will they be able to mount up with wings and eagles, run and not be weary, and walk and not faith, because they've seen Christ in you? They've seen the Spirit of God leading your life. And they want that. They want that. Well, Satan fought against Job even more intensely. And he goes back to God and he says, Look, let me have him and he will curse you. And so God says, Go ahead. And he inflicts Job with boils from head 
to the bottom of his feet. Someone has said, boy, I'd gladly go through what Job did if I could get double like he did. Well, let me ask you that after the first round of boils. Oh, and by the way, the kids he lost, they never came back. He was paralyzed with pain. But did suffering drive him away from God? No. It drew him even closer. It deepened his faith. And in time restored all that Job had twofold. And Job became a great example of patience and suffering to this day. Now understand this very carefully. If you're suffering because of your faith, God is going to be glorified. If you're suffering because of things others have put on you, then God is using you to reach them. And God is glorified. If you're suffering because of your own doing, God loves you enough to rebuke you and bring you back, and He will be glorified. Suffering is always God's work in you, no matter where it came from. Understand that. You're not suffering by some random happenstance. God allowed it for a very specific purpose. And you can endure by knowing that the one who created you, the one who called you by his grace, the one who sent his son to die for you to pay the price for your sin is the same God who's going to get you through and use you to glorify him. Now let me take you back to Philippians and let me just put some, uh, some perspective on this as we wrap up. Go to Philippians chapter 4. These two verses are one of our favorite verses in all the book of Philippians. It's verses 6 through 7. Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything. Don't get frustrated about anything. Stop worrying about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice it doesn't say, and your problems will be over. It provides an abiding peace that keeps us leaning on God. It keeps us spiritually minded. Romans 8, 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Peace? Peace? What is peace? Isaiah 26.3 You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. When you're able to trust God in the midst of suffering, here's literally what it's saying. It's inexplicable. It passes all understanding. So when it says, we'll guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, it's literally saying in the Greek, he will put a garrison on your mind. He will guard your heart and keep out any disturbing, faithless thoughts. Peace, godly peace, prevents doubt. 
And you see, the biggest difference between this kind of peace and the kind of peace that comes from being motivated and, and being, going after life as we hear people preach today is that your peace, it's not your peace, it's his peace. When Jesus came to the disciple and he said, look, my peace I leave with you, not, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. It's my peace. And his peace is never disrupted in the child of God. His peace is never knocked off in the heart of the child of God. He literally guards your heart. He guards it. So duty is pleasant. Obedience is sweet because the spiritual mind is in harmony with God's mind. And this is exactly where Paul is. This is how Paul can be put in chains, can be whipped within an inch of his death, can be shipwrecked, bitten by vipers, left for dead, chained to guards, put in prison, forgotten, because his mind is Christ's mind. His peace is his peace. And when he's chained in prison, he goes, hey, this is advancing the gospel. This is incredible. This is advancing the gospel. I remember when my late father-in-law was in the hospital with cancer. I remember one time going to see him, and, you know, he, he wasn't real bad, but he wasn't real good at the time. And I said, boy, this stinks. He goes, no, I got to witness to the nurses today. I got to share the gospel with my doctor. That's the heart he wants for all of us. And that's the compassion and the heart he wants for you. It's a heart of victory. It's a life victorious in Christ. Not because you're trouble-free. Not because you're able to get above it. Not because you're able to be rich and have houses and everything this world has to offer. Because Christ has you and you have Christ. And there is nothing that can knock you off the side. That's what suffering does in the heart of the true believer. So my question to you this morning is, are you a true believer? Have you placed your faith in the finished work of Christ? Does the Spirit of God indwell you? Does the Spirit of God convict you and reprove you and draw you closer to Him? Is the Spirit of God actively working in you to make you a testimony of His grace and His mercy so that everyone you come in contact with, they go, man, what have you got that I don't have? And you draw people to Him. Is He your Savior? Let's pray. Father, as we reflect on these thoughts, I know that there are some people here who who really struggle in this area. I know there are people who are struggling with very difficult things right now. God, help them to realize that you're in the midst of the storm with them, that they can cast all their cares upon you because you care for them. But in this moment now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you realize this morning that you need the Savior, with everyone heads bowed, I won't call you out, but will you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you, wherever you are, anybody? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. If there's anyone here, Christians, and you realize that 
this, this really isn't your life yet. And you want me just to pray for you that God, that you'll be able to surrender your life before God. Would you just slip your hand up? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these hands that were written, raised. Thank you for the, for the hand of those who are unsure about their salvation. I pray, Lord, that you would bring them to us at a time that you would move, that we could show them beyond a shadow of a doubt how they can know they're Christians. Father, I pray for those Christians who raise their hands that know they they need to live for you. They need to be surrendered. They want the life that's full of the Spirit. They want the life where you're leading and not them. Lord, do this work in their heart this morning and help them to draw close to you. And if they need to speak, God, please bring them forward to us that we might talk to them and encourage them. As we say so often, Lord, we must decrease and you must increase. And I pray that that would be the overwhelming theme this morning in the hearts of every listener as we give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen. God bless.